So this may be your first time this season to do this, but we're going to sing a Christmas carol. We are. How many know Grandma got run over by a reindeer? Do you know that one? All right, we'll skip. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sing this with me. We're going to do, do two verses, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit. So join with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. You sound wonderful. Have a seat. You sound like a great choir. And wonders and wonders of his love. You know, it's an amazing thing that when you think about that Bethlehem moment, this Emmanuel God with us, this God himself wrapped up in flesh, of course, you say, well, it brings joy to the world, but I think more profoundly is this love that the author of this song, the composer, says, it makes you wonder. It just really makes you wonder. So it's one of those moments that, that you can't script, but now, almost 40 years later, we still laugh about it. Pam and I were just newly married, and we were coming out of church. And I said to Pam, let me go get the car, I'll bring it around, and, and I'll pick you up at the regular pickup point. And so I ran and got the car, and I'm pulling up, and there's other cars in line waiting to pick up people. And I'm waiting for Pam, and here she comes, and she's laughing and talking and, and, and really totally distracted. And, and she comes around, and she gets in the passenger side and, and sits down, only it wasn't my car. It's <laughs> the car in front of me. And I'm thinking, what is she doing? And the car takes off. <laughs> it goes several yards and suddenly screeches to a halt. The door flings open. Pam comes out red and embarrassed and just in total shock. I pull up. I said, what, what are you doing? She said, I, I just wasn't paying attention. And, I, and then I got in the car and, and I put on my seatbelt and I put my hand on your leg. And she said, we started, and I looked over, and it wasn't you, and it wasn't your leg. <laughs> so she bailed. Because it wasn't the right relationship, and therefore, she did not belong in that car. So we say, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Messiah Mass the festival of the Messiah. The word mass in its classical Latin version is missio, 
Literally translated, it means go or it is sending. It means Christ sent. Messiah sent for what reason? So that he could tell us and show us who it is that God is inviting into the world that he is driving. And there's the shock. There's the the wonder of his love. That, that, that wonder of his love is so wonderful and so confusing at times that it, it absolutely creates more questions at times than it does answers. So while you spend these next weeks fighting crowds, holding on to your Christmas list, I want to remind you that here we'll be taking a weekly Sunday sabbatical for you to come and refresh and rest and refocus. And for these next five weeks, we're gonna focus on five different groups of people who you would never expect to be invited into the world that God is driving because you would never bring them home with you. And it's not the fact that we don't want them, it's just perhaps that we don't see them. There is this moment when when the intensity is accelerating and Jesus' pace is picking up because he's moving quickly now toward that spot, toward that place where he will reveal the greatest expression of love in a place called the place of the skull and also the garden tomb. At this moment, he is fighting off the efforts of the religious leaders to create doubt as to who he is and discredit him. And at the same time, he's bailing out his disciples who are continuing to make boneheaded moves. And the disciples, although they're not sure what to do, feel it coming, they understand it, and they they are feeling the intensity of the moment. They they feel it's crunch time. They, they, They got their game faces on when there arrives this group of moms who in these intense moments of what would seem to be warfare, they walk up and go, hello, would you bless our kids? which is not a bad thing because it is the tradition that Jewish children are brought to the elders to be prayed over. But these disciples say, no, absolutely not, because we've got important stuff to do. And this is not that important. And Jesus says, no, this is exactly what is important. Because love values those who have nothing to offer us. And wonders and wonders of his love. Ever been the last one picked? Remember the moment that you thought you're going to get the solo and somebody else got it? You still feel the pain of how your ex told you how worthless you are? Remember that sense of failure when you failed your certification test for the third time? Ever feel valueless? In fact, you feel so valueless that you don't even think people know you're around? You have nothing to add, so go away. We don't need you. And to that, Jesus does this. One day, children were brought to Jesus in the hope that he would lay hands on them and pray over them, and the disciples shooed them off. But Jesus intervened, let the children... Let the children alone. Don't prevent them from coming to me. God's kingdom is made up of people like that. I want you to hear that. God's kingdom is made of people like that. And after laying hands on them, he left. See, 
to the Jews, there were these places, and the Celtics called it a thin place. It's a place where heaven and earth are really close together. It's just a very thin place. It's almost like you could step into it. And for the Jews, there's places included the temple and the Torah. And in some cases with the rabbis, because they, they were closer to, to God and understanding God, so you get close to a rabbi, and you can get close to God. And so they bring these children with the hopes that they will place their hands on this child. Matthew, come here. And we put our hands on Matthew. And as a rabbi, you pray for Matthew. And at that moment, Matthew should begin to feel that he belongs. And that he has value. And Jesus says the kingdom is made up of people like that. People like what? People who need a power greater than them to affirm their value, their worth. God's people are people who believe that God is telling the truth about how important they are to him. So we have some friends who live in a Euro-Asian country, Euro-Asian country, that is occupied mostly by Muslims. And they are there on purpose to be able to share the fact that Jesus is God telling people how important they are to him. And so they hang around in hopes of being able to do that in a strong Muslim culture. So a couple weeks ago, Sarah sent back these words. And I, I want to read to you how she said them. This seaside park had benches for gazing and tables for drinking tea and coffee. We passed a woman in her late 60s sitting on a bench alone, and 10 steps later, I turned to my friend and said, I think I'm supposed to talk to that woman back there. She seems to be highlighted. As I sat next to her, I talked about the weather and found that her smiles were shy but open. She had some teeth missing, and that made understanding even more difficult. My one prayer became, God, give me a word for this woman. Give me a glimpse into her life that will open her to the gospel that good news about Jesus being here to tell us how important we are to God. And the word family came to my mind along with the emotion of sadness. So I turned to her and I asked, are you sad? Yes, she answered, eyes gazing at her hands. Is it because of your family? I asked tentatively. Yes. She lifted her bent head, looked out over the water, and the people passing us in groups of students and families. Well, they live in Germany and will not, will not come here now. They were going to visit, but things here are not good. They aren't coming because of the situation. With gentleness, I told her what had led me to talk to her, that God, out of all these people, pointed her out to me and showed me the source of her sadness. I concluded, God wants you to know he sees you. You are not alone. Then a pause. I follow Jesus, I said. She smiled and said, he is good. So we talked a little bit about prayer, and before I left, she said this. I was at home alone. I cook, but who eats it? I clean, but who sees it? I decided to walk down to the sea alone and rest. And then she turned and looked me full in the face for the first time, and she said, and then I met you. Her smile may have had a few teeth missing, but its worth was greater than pearls and rubies. What a treasure she is to the Father. And the wonders, the wonders, 
of his love. I think every truth has at least one corresponding action. And I've asked you this before, and I want you to respond, but I ask you almost every Sunday, who are we? Who are we? Followers of Jesus. And, and what are we doing? We're doing life together. So my question is, who in your life right now is invisible? Who is it that feels they are not seen? Who is it doesn't feel like they've been involved because they have nothing to offer? That's who Jesus seeks out. Jesus said, those are the people who make up my world. So here's the action that I encourage you to do this week. Find the invisible. Affirm them. And include them. So Thanksgiving has always been an interesting time around our house when our kids are home because we never know who's going to show up for Thanksgiving dinner because they just invite. And so a couple of years ago, we lengthened our table and made room and sitting with us on that particular Thanksgiving was a family from a foreign country who were very homesick and dealing with financial stress. Next to them were a gay couple who understand the pressure of the battle we have in our culture today. Across from them was a single mom and her adult daughter was also with us, but the rest of the family wasn't there because of the dysfunction in the family for so many years. And that day, with our kids and all of us together, we did life together. Our prayers that day and, and our activity and our discussion, we hoped, would say to them, you're not invisible. You count. You are welcome into this family. You're welcome into this life because in this life, we are learning about God's love by following Jesus. And we would love for you to walk with us on this journey. Isn't that what Jesus did? Luke says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's so easy to just fly by that. So let me just explain to you who these people were. So let's just say this group right here, these, these couple rows right here, these are tax collectors. Tax collectors were, were Jewish males who had negotiated with the Roman officials to collect taxes and, and customs and tolls. But the whole, the whole methodology, the whole system was just ripe with corruption and abuse. So these folks right here, they were hated and despised. So everybody go, boo. It's for you guys right here. These tax collectors were known as being unpatriotic, dishonest, greedy, and ritually unclean and detached totally from God. See, then there were the sinners, and you all are the sinners. And the sinners were the groups of people that the Jews would recognize as being immoral, 
and living out occupations that no self-respecting Jew would ever be involved in. So in this group could be prostitutes. In this group could be thieves. In this group could, could be sheep herders, shepherds. Because the shepherds always dealt with the unclean parts of life and therefore they never could worship because they were totally unclean. And so they were part of this group of sinners. Then over here were those that were physically unapproachable. Their disease or their disability was a sign to all the other Jews that these folks had committed a sin and therefore they were sick and would never get better. So together, here they came, prostitutes, tax gatherers, the maimed, the diseased, the social and religious outcasts, and they came to Jesus, these people that nobody would even notice, nobody would be around, nobody would ever touch, nobody would say hello to, nobody would ever invite for dinner, nobody, and Jesus eats with them. And you don't eat in that Jewish culture unless you're friends. You don't eat with them unless you have a relational connection. So distasteful that Jesus, what Jesus was doing that he broke the rule, and the rule was this. Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him back to the law. You couldn't even go to these tax collectors and say, let me help you come back to God, come back to the law. Let me bring healing to you. Let me bring to you restoration. Let me bring you forgiveness. You can't go to them because if you go to them, it proves you're just like them, and therefore you too should be ostracized. And they said, Jesus is just like that. Look, at he's a drunken and he's a glutton. A drunkard and a glutton. Look at him. And don't miss what has just transpired before this. Jesus had been not only hanging out with these people, but he had been hanging out with religious leaders. And Jesus had gone to the house of a Pharisee, and we're going to have dinner, and they're having dinner, and this man approaches Jesus who has dropsy. Dropsy is where fluid builds into the tissues and the cavities of the body. It's the kind of person that you'd be really uncomfortable hanging out with. And Jesus stops the party because it's Sabbath, and he says this. Can I heal this guy today? And they don't say a word. Not a thing. So Jesus heals him. Why? Because love serves those we don't think deserve anything. And Jesus then turns to the religious leaders, these really spiritual people, and he says to them, let me give you the very source of your silence. I'll tell you what it is. From the very moment I came in here, you are clamoring for the seats of honor at this dinner. You think that if, that if you're with important people, you'll be important, and if you can be more important than those important people, then you're super important, and you really want to feel important. You are so set in doing that, so focused that this man and his issues and his problems are not even on your radar. See, the need to be important by being with the important makes us indifferent to the unimportant. And we'll even hold them in contempt for getting in our way. Why am I talking to you? You're bothering me. I have other things to do. So Jesus presses in even further. See, when Jesus, when Jesus gets going, he starts pushing. And so he says this. Then he turned to his host when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives and the rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back, and that will be your only reward. 
Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, we have this propensity in our lives to invite into our cars, into our world, only those who are important to us, only those who can repay to us that importance, who can build our value. Those are the people we want to invite in. And the problem with the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind is they're kind of a black hole of charity. You pour into them. You can keep pouring into them. But when you're done, they're still perhaps poor and lame and crippled and blind. They're not important. Even though you poured into them, they're still not important. And and they have nothing to give, so they're not going to invite you back. And you're not going to be able to grow in value as a result of that. So when you get news that all your really close friends or the good friends and the really important people are gathering today over at, at Firebirds and, and, and you're going to have dinner together and you really want to go, but you remember that you're supposed to go have lunch and eat hot dogs with that really kind of dysfunctional, weird family, that, that, that socially awkward family that you met at the company picnic, and now you're thinking, how can I get out of this? And don't tell me you've never done that. How, how can I get, because they're going to, they're going to, so much more fun over there. And, and I go, oh, this is just tough. And I'm an introvert anyhow. This is going to kill me. I don't want to go there. If I could just come up with an excuse, I'll, I'll figure some other way. Because they're not that important. Jesus tells another story. He says this. He says a host is going to give a big dinner, and so he sends out invitations, and he gets back flimsy excuses. I just bought some property, and I got to go check it out. Really? You haven't even seen it yet? I just bought five oxen. I'm going to go test drive them. I just married, and the little lady wants me to stay home. It's not evil stuff. But what Jesus is saying, it's just the stuff of life that keeps people from enjoying eating with God as if this world was the main world. The host is livid, and so he gives these directions. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Did you see that? Did you see it? The list contains the same type of people that Jesus is hanging out with, the same exact ones. And God intends for his place to be full and there are a bunch of people so focused on getting stuff and getting honor that they miss the revolutionary moment, this revolutionary moment of love. That the father's heart fills the father's home with the invisible and the undeserving. And then he says, if you follow me, if you're my servant, you go out and I need you to go out and find those people. I want you to go out and find those people and invite them, those who don't deserve it and those you're uncomfortable with and those you're not even sure should be invited because because loving people can can be so complexing. Who who do I invite? Who should, should I I bring in? Oh, the wonder, the wonder of his love. You say, but wait, time out, time out. If I invite those people, if I hang out with those people, then my love is condoning those actions that I don't condone. No, pure love never condones. It is not condoning, it's introducing. True love introduces to a better world. 
appreciate the words of, of John Piper who says, the power to get free from the bondage of self-exaltation and apathy towards unattractive people with dropsy is to love what God will be for you in the, pre in the resurrection more than your hobnobbing with important people and the pleasures of a closed dinner circle. In other words, what frees you to live radically for others in this world is a confidence that the world is not the main world. So every truth has a corresponding action. And here's the action. This week. Find the unattractive and undeserving and invite them to your dinner. Now, if someone walks up to you today and invites you to dinner, that's not what this means. <laughs> this whole loving other people can just be so, so difficult to do, whether it's across the street or actually across the ocean. Check this out. of refugees that, that arrive in Greece or arrive in Europe arrive here on this island. So these beaches are where, uh, you know, uh, sometimes 60 to 70 uh, boats will land here per day. Most of them have fled countries of conflict. They left all their belongings. Some of them have left even family members behind. They just, they just flee for their, for their own safety and they, they flee for the, the hope of a better life. I mean, I, I mean, I can't even imagine leaving everything I know and coming to a place on a little raft and you have no idea whether you're gonna be welcomed or you're gonna be thrown in prison or you're gonna be, you know, you, 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 just, you just have no idea what to expect. A lot of the moms are very visibly afraid and to be handed someone else's child is, that's really humbling to like be responsible to, to care for them even for that brief moment. Let's go this nice lady. Just go. Take care of her, please. It was hard to see children coming off soaking wet. 
Um, yesterday we saw a boat come in with a baby who was just one month old on it. And I just can't imagine a mom who, who gets on a boat like that that's so unsafe with their one month old infant and how afraid she must have been that something would happen. And actually, I was just fearful that, that they're not going to make it because they're going to die of hypothermia before they get anywhere uh, safe. So I think it just uh, epitomizes the desperation that we see in this, uh, in this situation that we find ourselves in. They know about the border crossings. They know about what's happening in Hungary, about getting tear gassed and about getting stopped at a border. They, they know about boats, uh, boats crashing out here. Just, just yesterday, a boat was lost out at sea and people died. You know, almost every day, one of these boats doesn't make it to shore. tell they're traumatized by what has already been such a long journey that they've been through um, and what will be a really long journey still. I think when they land they're just so glad to be on dry land and safe that the reality of what lies ahead isn't, isn't really registering so I don't, I don't think they realize that they now have several weeks journey trying to get through Europe to their destination uh, and that that journey is not going to be easy. This is Karatepe. Uh, it's one of the refugee transit points that the refugees wait before moving on with their journey. She's four months pregnant, is that right? Four months? Yes. Yeah. And why is she afraid she might be losing the baby? I'm just cleaning the wound. He's, he's trodden on a nail, it's gone quite deep. Uh, the most important thing is that he goes to a pharmacy now and gets a tetanus vaccination. She's just sprained her ankle, probably by walking or maybe when she got out of the boat. Has she felt the baby kick yet? A flutter? Then the baby's okay. We are the first faces that they see when they land. Probably a lot of them have never even met a Christian. When they land on this beach, we're happy that we can be here and be here as part of that of that first step and be here to just show them that there's Christian people that love them. As they continue their journey along the way, they'll meet other people from Samaritan's Purse and other countries, and they'll remember us. I've never done anything like this. This is extremely special, what we're doing here. So we find ourselves in a dilemma. Because I watch that and I think, but terrorism and ISIS will, will use this. So there, there could be terrorists there. But also there would be families who are shattered and broken and hurting and have nothing. And so do we take people like that and just throw them all in the category of sinners and then forget them? We say you can't get in our car. I don't have answers. I do believe that in America and wherever else that you've got to be safe and you've got to vet people and you've got to do your best to make sure that we are secure absolutely because God hates evil and we should hate evil. But that's what makes love so confusing because then you have to love people you may not even be sure about. 
And it'd just be easier to forget them. So what do you do? Whether it's, whether it's Syrians trying to find a place or, or it's the people down the street, what do you do? Well, I think we do what Jesus did, and let's start where Jesus did. Because revolutionary love is not always easy or simple. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus started by asking, where does God want me to help? Or who does God want me to help rescue? And then he came to be with us, to hang out with us. And, and if you talk to Jesus every day, he would just say, I'm only doing what the Father told me to do today. I'm only doing what he sent me to do. And couldn't we start there? Couldn't we just see somebody that God points and says, go rescue that person? You say, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to protect myself. I don't know what to give. And God would say, let me tell you every day. Let me just show you today what you do. Can't we be that? Can't we do that? Isn't that what he called us to be and to do? It, it could be that, that you end up just talking to a 60-year-old lady at a cafe. It, it could be that you, you're giving a bottle of water to a refugee. It might even be inviting someone invisible to your Thanksgiving dinner. Because that's what Jesus did for you. He invited you and, and you showed up. The wonder, the wonder of his love. So will you stand? I'm going to invite our elders and spouses, our prayer team to come and just take their place up here. So come on. So you say, hey, Reisner, you started with joy to the world, and now I'm just feeling kind of weird. Love will do that to you. Love, love will make us say, I, I got to rethink this thing through. I got I to be able to, to, to figure out what God's telling me to do. So if, you're at, if you just feel weird, and, and whatever, good, because I want you to. You know, people say, do you like it? And people come up and say, great sermon. Well, yeah, but I like it too sometimes when they come up and say, you really confused me. I go, good, just pray it out. Go for it. Figure it out. Talk to Jesus about it. And some of you here feel like the invisible people. Some of you feel like it would be just great to have someone pray over you so that you know that you belong and that you can feel value, that you can have someone who's standing with you, that there's somebody who will partner with you, that we're doing life together, and you have, have felt that, that you're far away, or you may be one of those who's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pushing too many people away. I've got to start focusing on them because I'm so busy getting my own thing that people who are hurting, who are, hurting are not even on my radar. And so in just a moment, as I'm going to be dismissing you, I invite you that if you would like someone to pray with you, these folks are here to do that because they love you. And while we're doing that, then some of you and maybe many of you and all of you need to come on over and, and see the O'Bannons over here and, and hug their neck. And if you didn't have a chance to bless them in an offering, you can still do that. If you gave some and felt guilty, you should have given more. Ha ha, there you go. You can give more and bless them. You might even want to pray over them while you're there and let them know how much you care for them. Because that's what brings joy to the world, that kind of love. So now, as you enter into this Christmas season, may you enter with the Christmas spirit. That the one who was sent to tell us how important we are to God is now sending you to tell other people how important they are to God. May you find those moments. May you not miss those moments. And may you find great joy in sharing 
that story with them. May you find great joy because of his great love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.